When was the last time that you picked up a pen and paper and wrote something by your hands? Do you think that handwriting is important for your children or maybe you believe that this has nothing to do with them as they grow up in a digital world? And what can you do if your child is having troubles while learning? These questions and more are the focus of today's episode, so stay tuned. Welcome to the Apparently Parent Podcast. My name is Iran Katz, and I'm a clinical psychologist, a parenting counselor, and also a father. In this show, we combine the art of parenting with the science of psychology. So if you want to understand your children and yourself better, lead your family into calmer waters, and reach the end of the day with a smile on your face, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Iran Katz. All right, my friends, welcome to episode number 52 of the Apparently Parent podcast, which is also the second episode of the educational series here on the show. Just to remind you, in this series, I'm talking with guests who are experts on different aspects of learning and education. And last week, I talked with Dr. Jody Svensson about raising gifted children. And if you didn't listen to that one, it's really good. And check it out on apparentlyparent.com forward slash 51. Anyway, in today's episode, I'm talking with Nicole Santamaria. She's an occupational therapist and she's helping families developing skills and strategies to succeed in school. So it's all about learning difficulties and how you can help your children with that. So without any delay, let's roll that tape. All right, my friends. So my guest today is a bilingual occupational therapist. She's an expert in task analysis and occupational performance. And her mission is to guide families to help their children develop real-life strategies for success both in school and in life. For that, she founded OT for Real Life, a.k.a. Miami Handwriting. Her name is Nicole Santamaria, and I'm very happy to have her on the show. Welcome, Nicole. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Happy to be here. How are you doing these days? Tell us a little bit about uh, about you, where you're from, and, you know, What's it like down there in this time? Definitely. So I am from Miami, Florida, and um, we are currently, we're not in a full lockdown. Some kids are in school. Some kids are doing half and half school. Um, but a lot of families have actually chosen to keep their kids uh, working from home, mm-hmm. doing school from home as well, which... Um, You know, there's no right or wrong during parenting and especially now. So um, I've had to bring my practice home. I see a lot of kids via Zoom. I see families on Zoom. Um, and we just recently started going back into the schools. So it's definitely um, been interesting and challenging along the way, like all around the world. I mean, you're in Israel. I'm in Miami and yeah. we're kind of dealing with the same, the same situation. So yeah. We're all in the same big, big boat. We're all in the same boat, yeah. But. <laughs> you told us how some families decided to keep their kids at home, uh, learning mm-hmm. from home. And I think there's a trend here as well. And I just recently read an article about that, that here in Israel, you have to get a special permit if you want to go into, um, you know, homeschooling. There's a, a lot more of those uh, requests in, in the last couple of months than, you know, ever before so sure. i guess this is a new trend that we're going to see 
Interesting. Even now, well, I don't know that the, the families that are staying home, it's not considered homeschooling because the schools have all been yeah. set up with virtual platforms. So all the schools are set up. So some of his classmates have decided not to go back. They're still participating in the traditional school model, not necessarily yeah. homeschool. Yeah, I think he's some 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 part of a bigger, I don't know if it, we should call it a trend or a shift or just some phenomena of people realizing that maybe, you know, they could, should do something better. Probably parents who were more inclined toward uh, homeschooling in the first place, but didn't, you know, have the guts or this, you know, the stamina, whatever to do so. <laughs> but now exactly. the cards are reshuffled. So maybe more people are jumping on that ship. Yeah. And, um, so I um, see kids in the private practice, which now is is virtual. Um, and I do see work for the, we have charter schools here. So I do service the children in the charter schools that have occupational therapy. And it's interesting to see these children, I knew them prior to um, the pandemic. So I knew them in real life. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to see how some of them that were really struggling in the classroom how all of a sudden them being at home and having um, extra support from a parent, um, maybe not having the distractions of a classroom, uh, you know, maybe having extra reminders again from a parent and uh, their Zoom teachers, I guess, their virtual teachers, they've kind of just almost flourished with this virtual school that they're dealing with and then on the same extreme I had some that were doing pretty good in school okay you know navigating needed some support and they just fell apart with yeah. the virtual school because you know they they thrive off the cues that you get in the classroom mm -hmm. they thrive off of you know seeing okay well their classmates are all taking out their English book well it, I'm going to take out my English book too so and it's just interesting to see how they've kind of navigated yeah. um, with this. And some of them went back and some of them didn't. And it's just definitely an interesting time. And now um, one of the, I think we, we mentioned a little bit before, you know, we're always talking about how many things were taken away from us and taken away from the children with this. But one of the things me as the professional um, that I always usually just work with the student and I get to talk a lot with the teacher now I have the parents on my team. Like now I can really chat with the parent once a week and, and, and be like, how are things going? This is what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? What did you try? What's working for you guys at home? Mm -hmm. Now the, the parent has always been part of the team, but now the parent is so much more, can yeah. be so much more involved. And, yeah. and I actually tell them now you just, usually I say the teacher's the head of the, the school team, but now when the student is staying at home, mom yeah. and dad, you got a promotion to the head of the team because you're a parent, and now you're the head of the team because you're the one seeing uh, what's going on. So that's been nice because I do get to have a lot of input from the parents. That's really interesting to see how things in in both our fields are are changing. So, but I did want you to to ask you maybe you could um, share with my listeners for some of them are you know not so versed in in the terms and in the jargon. So what what is an occupational therapist? What do you do? And you know what uh, what does a bilingual occupational therapist do? What 
what does your work look like? That is a great question to start off with. Um, so <laughs> I'm Bethany, I speak Spanish, fluent Spanish and fluent English. Um, so a lot of the students that I work with, their families don't speak English. So my Spanish is actually very helpful because I can communicate with the parents in Spanish. Usually when I'm in the schools, the teachers all speak. Um, so it just gives you, you know, having an extra language always gives you an extra input, a different way to communicate. I've done workshops to um, teachers and staff from the Dominican Republic, from Puerto Rico, and they only, these this particular group, they only spoke Spanish. So that's definitely been a great way to help parents and teachers. And as far as what is an occupational therapist, so the way I like to describe it is an occupational therapist is like a big umbrella and our role, whether it be in school, in a hospital, in a rehab setting, is to help people function, to help people either get back to functioning or to help people function better. Um, I've been an occupational therapist for over 20 years now, and now I'm really seeing the, the model of using occupational therapy as a preventative model. So um, kind of adding, supporting, you know, with the children, supporting development in a way so that we can avoid certain uh, pitfalls, certain struggles they may have in the classroom, in the playground, at home, with siblings. Um, so occupational therapists, we help people function. We help people function. Um, if you're older, that may look like in your workplace. It may look like recovering from a surgery. Um, but for the children and the adolescents, it's helping them function at home, at school, and on the playground. And I always talk about all three because so many times, and you can chime in here, um, people get really worried only when it comes to the academics and the school part of it. And we know that that's just like the tip of the iceberg. Um, if a student is struggling because their grades are falling, there's usually so many more things going on that they need support. Um, that them improving their grades, yes, it's important. And yes, it's something they need to do. But we really need to dig a little deeper and figure out why is it that they're not turning in their homework assignment. Why yeah. can't they copy from the board so that we can really help them, right? Because we can get them a tutor and that's like a band-aid to study mm -hmm. for the test and they're going to do great in the test. But then when we remove it, they kind of didn't build the skills that they needed. Yeah, from, from my vantage point, it's like you can help them learn how to do things in a different way, but sometimes they're still bleeding inside. So you need to look inside and see see what's going on over there because it's it's not so easy to see from the get-go but sometimes you do realize that there are those who struggle and um, because of different skills and knowledge and or what we sometimes term organic deficiencies that they have but there is those who struggle because their minds are not open and free to learn and to 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 study because of other emotional you know, things that are going on. So you, we really have to, to be able to have this broad, broad look inside and see what's going on. Yeah. And, and I just think it's important for, for, you know, everybody to always remember that, you know, school is not 
the only place that our kids need to function. Yeah, that's right. I, I love how you, you said it's school, home and the playground. Right. And like for an older kid, you know, it would be like the field yeah. or... Playground is a metaphor. Whatever extracurriculars they're involved in, you know, and part of occupational therapy, which is why I liked it so much, is because it does have to do with the physical component, but it also has so much to do with the with the social emotional and the psychological piece in a way like I don't know of any other profession that really focuses on on the function um, the way that occupational therapy does. Like I've never been bored a day in my life like there's still so many things that I can learn about and and do and help people with that I don't think that I'll ever be bored with <laughs> that's, that's great <laughs> that's, that's a one, wonderful thing to like, say I, I love talking to like the, the kids in school that are studying like what are you going to be I'm like why don't you be an occupational therapist <laughs> uh, you're never bored you can work with adults you can work with the elderly you can work with athletes with you know the VA even with what I do that I work with kids, I work with kids in the charter schools. I work with kids in a private setting. Um, I do coaching for parents. I have workshops for them. Um, and that's only like a little bit of what we can do. Okay. All right. So, you know, I, I thought came up to me as a parent, you know, you're talking um, for parents and about children. How do you know that I may need a a service the services of an occupational therapist or of your services what what should they look for what are you know the red flags that I may need to be aware of okay so I'm gonna try and answer that I guess in a in a simple way and then uh, we'll expand on it so depending um the age of your child we're always gonna look at development so child development is 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 kind of like our golden standard. Like we're always going to use that as our measuring stick. So if it's a four-month-old, we want to know that the four-month-old is rolling over, starting to roll over. We want to know that the three-year-old is beginning to scribble. We want to know, you know, that a four-year-old can jump on one foot. So all of those things that are developmental, we want to see them happening. Now where it gets tricky is where... So that's your first red flag when something is off in development, right? Now where it gets tricky is, and I would love to hear what happens um, in your part of the world. Sometimes um, child development doesn't always match with what expectations are in the classroom. So we see this a lot with um, our pre-K Here in the United States, we have pre-K, like some kids start like at pre-K three, pre-K four, and then they go into kindergarten and then they start first grade and up. So in that pre-K four, kindergarten, first grade, they are from ages of four to seven. So their brains are exploding. So there's a huge range on development, right? That's just what happens at that age. So sometimes we have um, kindergartners that, you know, may need to write sentences when they're coming into school that first semester. And if they were in a pre-K four class that was very play-based and developmental based, that four-year-old going into kindergarten may not have had the experience with writing any letters because they were working on something else. Um, so then, as you can see, then that's our first 
discrepancy, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. If we were to look at the now they're five because now they're in kindergarten, we were to look at the five-year-old independent of what's happening in the classroom, everything might be where it needs to be. But then because maybe they're not writing as their other classmates are, then they're considered behind in the classroom. So that's kind of the, the, the struggle as uh, to how to stay true to development because that's always going to be, um, that's always going to be my measuring stick, what's supposed to happen in development, but still navigating that if they're in a, you know, very advanced curriculum kindergarten, they're expecting all of these fine motor skills and visual motor skills that haven't yet really developed. How do we stay true to development? So it gets, it gets, it gets, you know, so when a family comes to me, you you obviously you want to help them and you want to support them, but you also want to be like, it's okay that it's the third week of school and your five-year-old is not writing a sentence. It's totally okay. It just is because he's five. Yeah. <laughs> he just walked into kindergarten. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know how, how is it in, over there. And, and that doesn't happen in, in all of kindergartens, but uh, it does happen a lot more and more. And the academics are being pushed um, a lot. And it's, and it's really, and, and what happens is, and I guess it comes from the top down, um, the academics are being pushed so much that then I have my preschool teachers saying, yes, Nicole, I get it. I understand we have the state of development, but if he's going to kindergarten next year, they're going to need, expect them to write sentences and they're going to expect them to, to write and stay on the line. So they have to practice it now in pre-K-4. So then they tend to skip some of the real important, I call it the juicy stuff, where they really are working on the developmental skills that they need. Um, so that's where I have to come in and be like, no, you stand, you stick to your, your you know what you're doing, you know, stick to your ground, right? Like now more than ever, the early childhood uh, teachers really, they have to work even harder because I feel like between the electronics and then the academics coming down so hard, they really need to know development and understand it to know so they can sit with a parent and be like, hey, listen, we're working on all these skills. Building a puzzle is really what's going to help your child be successful in this kindergarten classroom. Um, helping them color on a vertical surface is really going to help them build the muscles they need so they can sit up tall in a desk and copy from the board. Um, so it gets a little tricky. But so, development is what I always tell parents to look for, the red flag. And then I'll just add this. What I mentioned is sometimes we come in when children are behind and sometimes we come in almost uh, as an enrichment program. Mm -hmm. That's what I've been seeing more. A lot of occupational therapy now is coming in more enrichment for adults as well as for as for kids, um, which is where we want to provide resources. Like these are the games you can play that can really develop your child's fine motor skills. These are the games you can play to really develop their visual motor skills. Um, it's not just a game to pass the time. It's really valuable. And it really helps and contributes to their future, but we don't want to see them. Yeah. So it's kind of like, um, in a lot of sense, your role is to, to find where the gaps are and, and devise the strategies to help the child grow into those uh growing to you in a way that will fill the gap and it will, will hit the developmental stages and maximize their potential. And I, I, I wouldn't know, but I guess there's a lot of um, 
psychoeducational work to be done both with teachers and, and especially with the parents who, who doesn't sometimes don't understand what's going on and why their child needs to do this and that and repeat those kinds of games or, or, or practices that you may suggest for them to do. Yeah. And then again, you know, bringing it back to what's happening today, you know, parents um, really can maximize the time that they have with the kids at home because they're not in the classroom getting these experiences they would normally get. So it's not about getting them to complete their workbook or their worksheet. It's about now we added an extra layer for the parents, right? Like, now play is really, really important for, for the little ones. Now for the, the school age ones, um, helping them build those executive functioning skills is crucial. If they're in virtual school, they're not getting so much of the experiences that build their, their executive functioning skills, which is what we need to create functioning humans. Right. Yeah. So the building blocks for, for yeah. everything. So, you know, before I felt this way, but now more than ever, you know, the more that we can give information to parents, um, the better it's going to be to help the, the kids just, and, and it's not always looking for a gap because they might not see a gap. Right. Cause. Yeah. I, I, I did wonder how parents today, when, when their children are at home all the time, so they don't have the eyes of the teacher or maybe not as much as before, because the teachers do have, even if they're not experienced as you are, they do have, uh, they see more students and more students over time. Right. And some of them at least develop some kind of sense to that and can tell the, the, the parents, look, you need to, you need to check this thing. And now right. this, for this year, parents don't have that. So yeah. What do yeah. we do? Yeah. What do we do? <laughs> exactly. And I, and I've had the, the phone call parents are, are like, okay, this is going on and, and I don't know what to do next. So I need you to, to, to help me with what to do next. And yeah, I always tell parents that the, te- let's say it's a fourth grade teacher. Um, I feel like parents are always experts on their own children, right? So sometimes parents and teachers agree and sometimes they don't agree, but the teacher, she spends her whole day with fourth grade children. So she knows what fourth grade kids can and should be doing. So any feedback you get from a teacher, um, usually you can you can um, take to heart that she's seeing something in your child, yeah. right? That she you know, she might not be able to pinpoint it, but she knows that something's going on. And that's not always easy for parents to hear. Um, but definitely they're missing those, those cues. So that's what we're... That's what we're both dealing with, right? Yeah, exactly. So there's a term that I I think I saw it in your website, and this is a term that I know from my, my work uh, as well, but and it's uh, executive functions. So this is something that we talk about when uh, we talk about skills in uh, in school, etc. And it does sound when you say executive functions it does sound like something out of maybe a Wall Street report, <laughs> you know? So, but maybe you can, <laughs> maybe you can share with, with us a little bit. What, what does it mean and why should we care about that? 
Perfect. So I, I always like to explain them as thinking and doing skills. Mm. So, you know, it does sound kind of fancy and it depends because sometimes people know the word and they know the term they're like, Oh, okay. I get it. And then sometimes they're like, what? No, no, no. This is like for a child. Like it's not an executive. Um, so I, yeah, I've gotten that before too, which, which I get it. You know, uh, I feel like that's a term at least here. It was, it's become popular like in the last maybe 10 years, uh, like kind of like a buzzword executive functioning skills. Um, and some people are like, Oh, people are just trying to like, you know, dump everything into that, you know, cause there's executive functioning skills, uh, deficits, dysfunction. Um, people are trying to just dump everything into that. Um, but my perspective is the more that I hear people talking about it and concerned about it, um, this is one of the things that, and here's like my top secret, whoever's listening to this, if there's one thing that you walk away with, this is my one top secret. Um, executive functioning skills, which are your the, what, thinking and doing, which will get you to think and then actually act and do something, they can be developed. And they start as early as six months from when the baby looks at you across the room and is waiting for you to come back to all the way to 25 years old is when they're developing. So that's, that's, a, that's a huge you, window of opportunity. Yes, exactly. I like how you put it. It's a window of opportunity that if we, and the things that we can do are, are very easy and very subtle. It doesn't mean we have to have like a PhD. Um, as parents, we already do a lot of these things, um, but just being intentional and specific with little things that we do throughout the day. And now that a lot of us are all together the whole day, <laughs> the whole day. Um, so that's my one takeaway with executive functioning skills is think of them as the thinking and doing skills. What your kids need to develop it starts as early as six months and it goes all the way and up to 25 mm -hmm. and they can be improved. They can be developed. You know, we all have our, there's, um, depending on how you look at it, some people say there's eight, some people say there's 11. The point is, is that we have strengths and then we have uh, weaknesses. So we want to know what our strengths are because we want to do more of what we're good at, right? We're always talking about, let's do what we're not good at. But no, we want to, for these skills, you want to practice more of what you're good at. And then you also want to increase the ones that you're that you're struggling, that you're trying, might not be perfect, but they can definitely develop and improve. Yeah. And it's so great to know that it's something that you can work on. And it's amazing to think that if yeah, you can it's developing since so, such an early age uh, and, and well into the young adult years, at least. And, and I do... It's something I talk about sometimes as well, especially when I, I'm talking with parents of teenagers who expect, you know, their children to to act as adults. And I, mm -hmm. I always tell them that there's a discrepancy like in, in their brain between the what I, I I use the term the thinking brain and the emotional brain. So I'm talking about the two different parts of of two two different systems in the brain and and those you know, the prefrontal cortex where, where we used to, you know, think about where the executive functions are, doesn't really develop yep. um, fully until 20-somethings. So I guess 25 is like, uh, like you mentioned. So 
we knew we have to realize that it's a work in progress right but it is a work like there are things that we and a lot of the things sometimes the environment naturally gives them right like for example time um i have a workshop and i call it time awareness because it's not time management we want to teach them to become aware of chunks of time mm -hmm. so one of the things that they're missing if they're one of the things that they get from being in school is okay like it's the morning bell the teacher's yeah. writing the homework assignment okay well now it's math time so i know i've been here for a while well now it's cafeteria time like mm -hmm. getting up and moving through space they're like moving through their day that teaches them time awareness and time management now that sometimes our days are all one yeah. long <laughs> yeah <laughs> there are no long. bells ringing and yeah there's no bells all mashed up together yeah um it's like so like when, when all of this is going to be over you know we'll have the vaccine and everything i don't know we will all, all have to be re-educated about you know just figuring out which day of the week is it Yeah, I got the, the reintegration to society. <laughs> We're all good. Um, and even one of the things um, that I think is like such an easy thing that we can do from when the kids are little is just pausing, mm -hmm. just waiting. Either when we speak to the child, just kind of wait and let them respond When they ask us to do something for them, just wait and see if they can figure out how to do it themselves. Yeah. Because that pausing gives them the opportunity to figure it out for themselves. That pausing gives them the opportunity to experience that delayed gratification for you to come in and help them. And I always say that's like one of the great ways that we can build this big puzzle of thinking and doing skills is just waiting and this applies to your teenagers too you know yeah hey mom i want a sandwich um i can't get you a sandwich right now letting them figure out how to make their lunch how to make their lunch now that they're at home um so i always find the pausing and the waiting is a great way to kind of sneak in that delayed gratification which builds the emotional control the response inhibition Uh, and that's a big one. And sometimes yeah. I tell parents to just pretend you have a phone call to make, say I have to go to the bathroom, because then we don't want it to be a big confrontation with the with the child, you know? Yeah. So one thing that I, uh, I wanted to ask another thing is about uh, the concept of handwriting, which I know you talk about also, you know, yeah. I mentioned Miami handwriting, right? Like, like the, yes. the name of your business. So, Um, some parents who listen to this may ask, why should I, as a parent, care or worry about handwriting? Because it's the 21st century. They're all texting anyway, and we mm -hmm. are all using keyboards. So why, why, why should I care about that? What do you have to say yeah. to that? So I get that question a lot. Uh, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, so what, I actually have... Um, I guess I'll send you the link, so maybe you can put it in your show notes. I have yes, a, a whole... It has like um, a couple of different pieces of research and different reasons why answering that question, why is handwriting important? So even though it's 2020, um, a lot of our kids are still, and it's funny, even now with this whole virtual, are still required to write things by hand and then 
Why? Because we know there's research stating that when we write things by hand, pen to paper, we get a connection between our hand and the part of our brain that controls the memory. Mm. So that in itself is a way to get um, the children to remember what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the researches that I talk about is actually, so for little ones, the preschool ones, writing by hand has a direct correlation with reading literacy. It has a direct correlation with uh, the visual memory that they need to remember what letters mean. Um, it has a direct correlation with body and space. So there's so many things that the little ones get from learning to write by hand that if we skip it, number one, a five-year-old, they really don't develop the fine motor dexterity to actually keyboard properly and fast enough. The last research I, I saw was um, about fifth grade. So that's really 10, 11 years old to type fast. Until then, they're pecking on their iPad yeah. or whatever they're using. And remember, they're missing. Then, then we're taking away a huge piece of development. All the fine motor control, all the eye-hand coordination that it takes to write, they're missing it. And our kids are still required to write a lot of things by hand. Right now, I just had to work with a child who had to write an essay for entrance exam. The kids that are taking their SATs, they still have to write an essay. The, here in the United States, we have the advanced placement exams they still have handwritten essays to to do. So yes, and and I get it. A lot of people they don't they don't use it. And I get it. It's it's interesting and, and good to see that head, handwriting is not only about handwriting, it's also about cognitive skills that are really important for our everyday lives, not only about writing notes. The life skill. And actually I think you were from Israel. I had somebody contact me they got one of my resources and they were from Israel mm -hmm. and they were saying how, even though obviously the letters were very different, that they were able to still use some of my, the size of the letters, the spacing to, they were teaching Hebrew. So maybe you can share with us a little bit about, um, you know, if parents want to work with you, um, how do you work with parents? Do you work? You did mention that you, now your practice is more virtual because of COVID. I, I know that very well myself, but other than that, how, how do you usually work with parents? Do you offer anything else other than, you know, one-on-one -on -one work? I'd be happy to talk about that. Yeah, a good thing with uh, coronavirus is that uh, I already had a couple of things on, on virtual and digital that I could share with parents, and I have a couple more now. So the two main areas that I help families with are handwriting. Usually the ones that find me are because their kids have illegible handwriting. And if your child has perfectly neat handwriting and you're listening to this thinking, why would anybody because you're not that parent. If it has a child that can't copy from the board, that copies down the spelling words and nobody can read the spelling words. Um, usually it's the older child. Um, I have a digital course specifically for that. Um, luckily I had it already set up prior to coronavirus, but in my office, those are the students that I used to see. The, the older student that keyboard would be like, oh, they just need to keyboard, but that doesn't function because they still need to write a lot to make it through their school day. Um, so that's legible handwriting for kids. Um, and I do have students that I still see one-on-one. -on -one. The Zoom is actually working out really well for, for those sessions. Um, at the beginning, I was very concerned, but we've got it down to a science now. Um, 
And then I have the other part where I really serve parents. Um, and I say parents and families because, yes, I do work with the children. Here um, is very popular executive functioning coaching where they work usually one-on-one -on -one with the student. Um, I can do that, but I also like to really help the parents understand a little bit the foundations of what's going on. So I have, um, I have three workshops, one on time awareness, one on working memory, and oh, I think I need to work on my working memory. I think the other one is on flexibility. I have three of them that we all work on together. And it's really meant for the parents so the parent can kind of understand what are some things I can do to help my child uh, develop these skills. Cool. And, and you, you can mm -hmm. send me all, all of the links for all of that. So I'll put them in the show notes so everybody can really find them easily. Definitely. Right now, they're all going to be on the website, which is MiamiHandwriting.com. Mm -hmm. um, and I have Instagram and I have um, a YouTube channel and I have all of my videos go on there. I always try and give lots of free content to help the families. So there's YouTube and there's Facebook. And that's that's so great, and I, I really think that parents, you know, even if you don't recognize your child as having any difficulties or you didn't think about it, just by checking out those resources, you can just learn a little bit more about where things are, and maybe you can either find out that you may need some help or or find out you're you're doing well, which is a win-win situation. So why not? Exactly. Like I've had family take the executive function workshops. And be like, oh, okay, wow. So like, I this is what I've been doing. And that's kind of, I didn't know it was helping build this skill, right? And then I have families that are trying to help their child with time management and time awareness. And they were able to implement some of the things and then, you know, either have a follow-up, but it's really just to kind of give support to, to the families. Because I really believe that, you know, the more support that our parents have, um, the better off they're going to be able. I want them to feel like, empowered I want them to feel like okay I know what I'm doing here I can really help like sometimes you know we just google and pinterest and then you pull one idea from here and one idea from there and now I have 10 ideas and now I can't do any of them and I'm doing them wrong so like I really like just want to make parents not be overwhelmed and just be able to pick one or two things that can really make a big difference. So that's very, very enlightening and interesting. I, I think we should all check those resources out because uh, there's a lot that we don't realize and we don't think about, but when we do educate ourselves a little bit in those functions and things that for us adults may sometimes already feel like day-to-day -day things that we don't think about for our children, it's a work in progress. So we need to know how to, to support them in that and help them in that. So we are at the end of our conversation. And I have just one final question, which I ask everybody at the end of uh, these talks. And it goes like this. If you could go back in time and have a little chat with, uh, with your own self before you became a parent yourself, um, just, you know, over a cup of coffee or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> What would you like to tell her? One one little thing. It doesn't have to be, you know, very deep. <laughs> I was saying, I was like, oh, if the me today knew 20 years ago, knew what the me today knows, <laughs> me today knows. Yeah. Oh, um, so I would definitely say, I think by nature, I'm like a pretty relaxed person. I don't, I'm not a worrier. So I wouldn't tell myself not to worry. I think I would tell myself to maybe do 
less of, you know, try and do so many things and just pick like a few things um, that I can really help my kids with. And, and just know that at the end of the day, like the kids kind of find their way. And when we look back, we like now I can look back and be like, oh, it was really nice that I didn't do laundry for the first 18 months. <laughs> my house was like the best for the first 18 months because I had two kids back to back. And I played uh, Thomas the Train with them under the train table. Right. Like I, I knew that that time I spent with them was more valuable than me having like a super clean, immaculate house. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So again, Nicole, thank you so much for talking with us today. I will put uh, all the links in the show notes for you guys so you can check them out. And I hope you will because there's a lot of good stuff that you can learn from. Yeah. There'll be more stuff coming on there. I'm, awesome. I just re- I just redid my website. So I'm definitely adding more, more products and more videos and whatever you guys need. Yeah. All right. Thank you. So thank you. All right. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on here. I enjoyed it. All right. So that was my conversation with Nicole Santamaria, occupational therapist extraordinaire. I hope you have enjoyed that and learned a little bit about the ways children need sometimes to adapt to their learning environment and develop different skills and You know, this issue is even more important. Now, with all the changes to schooling that we've seen after the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, and I'm sure there is more to learn and understand here. If you want to learn more about Nicole's work, go to apparentlyparent.com forward slash 52. These are the show notes of this episode where you will find all the links mentioned in the episode. And just before I go... I wanted to remind you to subscribe to the Apparently Parent podcast on your favorite podcasting app so that you'll never miss an episode such as the one that we will have next week where we continue our journey into learning. So I will see you there. <laughs>